First of all, we'd like to apologize for the heat. Um, we, we've been saying this, but we, we promise we're going to get fans up in here. And then when we purchase the building, we'll try to work it out where we get some AC up in here. So uh, now we're getting a little bit of that old um, down south black church uh, effect going. Sorry we don't have the fans with Martin Luther King and the funeral home on the other side. So you can, but, uh, but uh, we're going to. We're going to trust the Lord to keep going. Uh, this will also make us want to continue to give uh, because in addition to needing $70,000 just to be able to hold on to this place uh, till we purchase it, we need a couple fans. So uh, remember that as uh, you're thinking about what you're going to do with extras uh, that you have or what kind of sacrifices you're going to make. Um, and um, so we, we, do, we do apologize for that heat. Uh, Lord willing, this will uh, be an incentive for me. Um, to be a little shorter. Um, so we'll only be an hour today. No, I'm just, just kidding. All right. Nobody laughed at that. All right. Let's keep it moving. And um, I do feel bad because occasionally I'll drink water. And I just feel bad because I feel like I should sh- suffer with you. But only, you know, because of the, the, the parchedness of the, the throat piece uh, will I be drinking water. So uh, let's get it. Uh, we're in a series... In the book of John, we're actually getting close to the end. Uh, we've been in it since the day we started. Uh, we went public back on September 17th, uh, where we've been walking through the book of John. As a church plant, we want to build it on a foundation uh, of people who are in love with the key to the whole puzzle. Uh, Jesus Christ is the way everything else makes sense. Uh, Paul was fluid in the law and the prophets. Paul was a beast, but he didn't understand anything until he saw everything through the prism of Jesus Christ. He persecuted the church and thought he was doing God a favor. He said, according to legalistic righteousness, that was me. But I didn't have a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, so I had zeal but no knowledge. I had a whole bunch of knowledge, but it didn't make sense without Jesus Jesus Christ. So we're building it on Jesus Christ. Out of all four Gospels, John is the one that wants you to see the highlights of Jesus Christ in such a way that you believe in him, have life in his name. John is saying, everybody wants you to like Jesus. Everybody wants you to trust in Jesus. John says, I want you to believe that he's the son of God. I want you to believe that he's deity, that he is on level footing with God the Father, that he is equal with God the Spirit. And so we've been, we started our church plan on that and now Every chapter has been about him. Every chapter has shown him flexing his superiority to everything that preceded him. All religion, all heroes, all spiritual people. Jesus Christ came and the greater one was here. And so today we're continuing and we're in what is known as the the, the Jesus Christ week of his passion. Uh, passion is just comes from the Latin word, which means suffering. A lot of times we think this is the week where he shows just how passionate he is. That's really not what it means. This is the week where he suffers in an unprecedented way, in a way that has completely changed what we understand suffering to be. And so today, as we enter chapter 18, what I would like to do is um, I would like to look at Christ and the cross. A shining moment in a dark time. A shining moment in a dark time. All sinners who are saved by grace ought to be impressed with the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross. You ought to be impressed. You ought to be moved by that. The Bible says that he who's forgiven much loves much. As we began to sing, I began to think about who's up here jumping up and down when they hear the song smitten, afflicted, and wounded. It has to be somebody who knows that was the way they got forgiven. And if you've been forgiven much, that song means even more to you. And so uh, all sinners should be impressed by the fact that he died. Today, we're going to look at 11 verses in chapter 18, and I'm hoping that we will leave being impressed not just that he died, but how he died, how he died. We're going to see Jesus Christ at the threshold of the cross. John tells his side of the story in a unique fashion that's different from what we call the synoptics. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are more alike, and John has material that he says, well, I know you've heard Matthew's side of the story, and you've heard Luke's side of the story, and you've heard uh, Mark's side of the story, but John said, I'm going to come at you slightly different than they did, and I'm going to include things based on my purpose, and so today I hope we'll buy into his purpose. One of the purposes for him uh, doing this is 
He wants to show you that Jesus Christ was not a victim. We did, dealt with this before, where he wasn't a victim, he was a victor. And so, in the face of the cross, we see Jesus Christ teach us about five things, and we're going to look at that. I thought this was good because in the Bible, the cross represents literally the thing that was most agonizing. That's where we get the word crucifixion from. The word excruciating. We we get it from the way the cross made you feel. Uh, It was shameful in their society. It wasn't just painful. It was humiliating. We don't understand that because you could be like, like, you laughing, but I'm hurt right now. A lot of cats in the honor and shame society will be like, yo, forget the pain, I'm embarrassed. We don't understand that in our society, which is why you sometimes, the, when the, in the Asian world, when somebody loses a fight, they'd rather kill themselves than to walk around as a loser. Honor and you'd be like, why are you killing yourself? You was handling him, you know, for most of the fight. He just caught you with one. And they sing, you know, he's ready to kill himself. Honor, shame society. Same thing. That's why the Bible says he despised the shame of the cross and endured it. Not he despised the pain of the cross. That would be us. He despised the shame because shame was worse than pain for them. And so the, the cross represents agony, suffering, pressing, and it became a symbol of that in the life of the believer. Right now you're in one of two seasons or somewhere in between. You're either with feeling the, the reality of your cross, meaning right now you're in a season of suffering, in a season of discomfort, in a season of I wish it weren't like this, not just because the world has fallen. This is the suffering or the discomfort or the displeasure or the I wish it wasn't like this that comes because you're connected to Jesus Christ. How many of y'all know for some people life was better before Christ? For some people, life was better before you really started living it for Christ. I mean, I had Christ in my heart, but I wasn't living it. And life was better. For some of us, we made more money. If Christ wasn't in it, we make more money. I know me as a rapper. If Christ wasn't my Lord, I would be a different kind of rapper. If there was no Jesus Christ and who hung on the cross and caused people to a different standard. If he was just a good guy with a great example, I wouldn't switch up my rhymes just to follow him. I'd get paid and then try to follow him from that point on. Some of us. So the cross in the Bible for the believer is pain, sometimes even literal death, that only comes your way because you're, you're keeping in step with Jesus Christ who went to a cross. And everybody is, is somewhere, either you remember when you were just, when life was more painful than it was pleasurable. Everybody has had those seasons, perhaps. And I know of people in our own church who were in that season Again, if you throw Jesus' standards off, if you throw Jesus' example off board, then you'd be freer. But because of him and you're attached to him, you can't. You have to play life by his rules. And so today as we get to 18, Jesus Christ is getting ready to show us how we are to carry our cross. The Bible says every believer, if you want to have a part in Jesus Christ, you have to carry a cross, which is just a way of saying you have to join with Jesus in suffering. The good thing about the cross is from the when you look at it from the spiritual or Christian paradigm, a cross is always just a doorway to a resurrection. Cross is always part of a humiliation which automatically, without fail, because of the faithfulness of God, not because of the faithfulness of us, ends up and results in an elevation or an exaltation or a glorification. That's the good thing. So if you're suffering right now for Christ, it is guaranteed that you're going to come out better, shining. And this is what the Bible says. You will be vindicated and people will look at you and say, Dad, the Bible says this about Jesus. We thought... He was smitten of God. Like, we thought God had beef with him when we saw his suffering. We looked at Jesus and said, Dad, what did this man do? Fanatic has a banging song uh, called Back Up. And he's like imagining the conversation of people who saw Jesus on the cross. Is like, yo, who's that hanging there? You mean you haven't yet heard? Nah, what did he do? Wasn't it Barabbas' turn? I mean, Barabbas was known, you have to know your Bible to keep up with me for this part. 
Barabbas was a dude who was in prison because he clearly was foul. They said, let Barabbas go and give us Jesus. So uh, uh, somebody who doesn't know the deal would say, dang, Jesus did something worse than Barabbas? And that's what happens in your life. You're suffering, of course, because you're out the will of God. You're poor because you're out the will of God. Life is in turmoil because you're out the will of God. Well, the Bible says, nah, there may be another possibility. You're in a season of your cross. And you're perfectly in the will of God. Oh, it's not, it's not about the will of God. It's, this is the cross. In fact, it's God's bright idea to boost me higher than I would be if I wasn't in this season. You're going to see that today. Five things about Jesus Christ who shows us how we shine in the midst of darkness or how we will be able to face our cross, which has to come if you're a real Christian. And it's going to be quick. I can tell. I always say that. And I'm telling you, day it will, because I'm burning up already. 18, we're going to read 11 verses, then we're going to look at five things that Jesus shows us in light of the cross or in the face of the cross. 18, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, you know, who betrayed him, also knew the place where Jesus often, uh, excuse me, uh, also knew that now Jesus who betrayed him also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured, snatched up, got led a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who also betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those you gave me. I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? How do we face our cross? It says here, 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words. We just got out of what we call the upper room discourse. Chapter 13 to chapter 17 is Jesus Christ having a private dinner with his 11 disciples, started with 12, but Judas midway through basically was dismissed. Now there's 11 people that Jesus Christ loves so much that he washed their feet, so much that he told them, yo, when I'm gone, I'm going to send you somebody to keep this relationship we have going called the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he's going to open your eyes to all that I was saying in its significance. After saying all of these, having a long prayer, chapter 17 is a long prayer, where he prayed for himself, prayed for the 11, and prayed for all of us in 2007 and beyond. After that, it says, having said all of this, Jesus Christ went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden. First thing, Jesus Christ was committed to going to the cross, committed to going to the cross. All Jesus' ministry, he said, my hour has not come. Or the text will say, they didn't catch him that time because his hour or his time had not come. Jesus now says in 13, yo, now is the hour. The hour is here. You know that one that kept not being here? It's here now. What is this hour? The hour for me to be glorified. But in the Bible, the key to glory is suffering. So he says here, after he says this, he went out with his disciples. This is the whole reason why Jesus Christ came. 
You see his commitment to going to the cross. The reason why I say that is because society will make us want to find another way other than the cross. Jesus Christ demonstrates he's committed because after saying all these things, he goes out and he says, now let's go. Let's get the cross thing on. Luke 9:51 says this. He set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. That means he refused to be sidetracked. He refused to be wavered. If that was me, I would have been like, and another thing, the upper room discourse would have been 20 chapters just to stall the hour from really getting here. When I was young, I used to do that. My father would say, now I'm going to spank you. Wait, I got to go to the bathroom. And it was never the quick one. It was always the long one. And I'd be in there trying to stall. On the stall. Jesus Christ doesn't stall. He prays and it says he went out. There's a, there's a show on that used to be on called To Catch a Predator. And to catch a predator, the cops were outside. It was sure you were about to go to jail. So inevitably, if they knew that, Chris Hansen would say, I want to ask you some questions. And they'd sit down and they'd like, go ahead, ask me as many questions as you want. And eventually he'd say, okay, you're free to leave. And they'll just be looking out like, I'm going to go out. They were stalling. The Lord Jesus didn't stay up in the upper room stalling because he was committed to going to the cross. He would not be suckered into a shortcut. He knew that this was about to be agonizing. In fact, John doesn't deal with it because John has a reason, but he just got through praying, God, if there was another way, let the cup pass from me. The Bible says that he, he, he sweated like drops of blood. Yet he goes out because he was committed to the cross. We've been talking about that. Jesus Christ is committed to the cross. He goes Past what would have been a valley or a, a, a stream that was really dry. It was, it was only wet in the rainy seasons. Now it was dry. Jesus Christ proving his commitment. He, he doesn't just like go outside and wait for them. But they got to find me. I ain't just going to them. Like he crosses valleys and through the woods and off the grandmothers. I mean, he's, he's pursuing the cross. He's so committed to going to the cross. So, it, like, John wants you to know that Jesus wasn't just caught out there. John wants you to know that they didn't come, like, knocking down doors, like, where's he at? And Jesus is cowering. John wants you to know that Jesus Christ was committed to going to the cross. That's admirable. The Bible says that he became obedient to death and humbled himself to even death on the cross. This wasn't going to be a quick way out. We're just talking about capital punishment and uh, this guy who was getting ready to get it. And they said they've been challenging lethal injection because it may have unnecessary pain with it. This was before people said, is it humane to let someone suffer like that? This was capital punishment that was designed to have pain that would extend. In fact, they didn't want you to go quick. Today, we are quote-unquote civilized, and we have a humane society. We want you to go quick. Here, give it to me. Oh, man, come on. Like, for them, what Jesus was running to was get ready to be the long, drawn-out version. John wants you to know Jesus was committed. Why else would he run to something that was so agonizing? The devil often tried to offer Jesus Christ a crown without a cross, and Jesus wouldn't take it. You would think, since God has promised him that he'd rule, that the government would be on his shoulders, that like he would be the Prince of Peace, mighty God, which is conquering warrior, that Jesus would make a beeline, dodge the cross. But his commitment to the cross is seen as, after he said these things, he went out with his disciples, crossed the valley where there was a garden, and went. Jesus was not only committed to the cross... Jesus was courageous in the face of the cross. We see this because Jesus went to a garden. He and his disciples entered it. Now, this garden, it says here, verse 2, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. We see that Jesus was courageous in the midst of his cross because, A, he's at his normal spot. If you were scared, you thought, come to this other spot. I got a new spot for us. Why are we ain't going to our regular spot? Nah, it's, it's just that I got a new spot for y'all. 
Jesus went to the spot that he knew other people knew about. This is just to show you a Jesus who knows that the cross is God's will for his life. He doesn't duck it. He's committed to it. He doesn't just go cowering, but he goes courageously. He wasn't caught off guard and captured. He didn't like surrender because, dag, you got me. When I was young, I stole some shoes. The plan was to go in the store, grab the shoes, go to the counter like you were going to pay for them, the exit out of the mall, right outside was some woods, so it was like, how they going to catch us? There were three young ladies at the counter. We said, all you got to do is go like you're going to pay, rush out real quick, who's going to catch us? Well, God thwarted my plans because the dudes ran before me, so I'm still in the store with shoes in my coat. See, I didn't stick to the plan either because I was supposed to go up to the counter. I try to run, and as soon as I realize I'm caught, I'm saying, oh, yo, here, y'all can have these. I try to give them their shoes back. Here. I said, oh, y'all can have these. And, and, and I tried to leave. All right, now let me go. I gave you the, what you wanted. They said, no, 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 you, you're only giving us the shoes because you were caught. It wouldn't be, John doesn't write the story like Jesus ran, realized it was a dead end, and said, well, this is the will of God for my life anyway. Come on, take me. No. Jesus says, I'm committed to the cross. I'm also courageous in the face of the cross. It says he went to his regular place. He shows his courageousness in the fact that this was not only his regular place that he knew, but like that Jesus Christ knew the things that were going to happen to him. Says here, Judas, verse 3, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns, weapons, and torches. If there was ever a time to shrink back is when you see the weaponry. It's one thing to talk tough because you don't see the weaponry. It's another thing to see lanterns and torches. We even see that this courageousness in the face of what was going to happen is, is unusual behavior because they have a band of at least 200 soldiers to catch Jesus in case either he ran and or a riot breaks out. And this idea here is they have torches. Now the full moon is out. They could see. But if he makes a dash for it, they didn't know where they were going to have to search for him. Jesus demonstrates his courageousness in that it's clear the average person who has any kind of smarts would have run, which is what Rome and what the Jewish priests were expecting. So they came out with torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus shows that he's courageous in the face of the cross in that he runs to meet it. Whenever I think about this, I think of the story of David and Goliath. The Bible says after the talking. Now, once again, some of us, we like to prolong the talking so we really never have to execute. We like to prolong the planning so we don't have to execute. We like to stay in the prayer huddle so we don't have to get up and execute. David is throwing jabs back and forth with Goliath. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm going to cut your head off. Oh, you feed me, dog, with sticks. Oh, yeah, but in the name of the Lord, I come to you. And the Bible says that David ran to meet Goliath. Like he ran. And he gets to the battle line, picks up his weapons, and he's like, let's get it. And the Bible wants to show you the early signs of the courageousness of David, who was a mighty warrior. Same thing with Jesus. This idea of not being caught, this idea of running to his cross. He was committed to going to the cross. He was courageous in the face of the cross. He was in control of every detail of the cross. Look what the Bible says here. Verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing there with him. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus was in control of every detail. It's one thing to be committed to the cross. It's another thing to be courageous in the face of it. It's another thing to be controlling the scene. 
This is over 200. Now, Rome, we're talking about Rome, one of the most fearsome empires ever, sending their dispatch. Rome popularized the crucifixion. They didn't invent it. They popularized it. They feared the Jews had already said, if we don't cut it down, if something doesn't change, Rome's going to take our freedom. People were afraid of Rome. You know Jesus Christ is in control. He opens his mouth and they fall back. You don't see him being slung to the ground like, oh, gosh, take it easy. I'm willing. I'm committed. I'm courageous. You see him, one man with 11 scaredy cats. Talking about, who do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. I'm sure that part had base because they didn't know who was who. Even though we, we are told that he was kissed on the cheek by Judas. John doesn't get into that portion. John just wants you to know he was in control. No need for that detail. Jesus says, I am. Now we already know. Now there's, there's a couple reasons why I am would make somebody shrink back and fall to the ground. We can't be emphatic and say, but one possibility is when he said, I am, he allowed a piece of the true essence of what I am is and who I am is to peek through in such a way that it somehow caused them to fall back and say, whoa. But we can't say that emphatically because he could have just been saying, I am. Either way, why are you on the ground when I say it? John wants you to know the only reason why. And look, the text says, and Judas was beside them. Bring Judas up. After this, you're not going to hear about Judas anymore in John's gospel. Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place. Judas, who betrayed him, was on their side when he said, I am. Judas and all of Christ's enemies fall back at, I am. Jesus Christ wants to let you know. They wanted Jesus of Nazareth, an earthly title. They came face to face with Jesus, the I am, the divine one, who was in control. He's setting the scene. He determined where they would find him. He determined that they would find him. He determined that it would be private enough to not cause people who would have come to his defense to come to his defense. John wants you to know Jesus, after a long time with his disciples, runs to the battlefield to face his cross because he was committed. Steps out and doesn't wait for them to find him because he was courageous. But then steps out and begins to address people and ask them who you're here for to demonstrate he's in control. We're just trying to learn lessons from him. Learn lessons about how we face our cross. We're going to tie this in in a minute. Not only was he in control of every detail, he was concerned for his disciples in the face of his own cross. Look at this, seven. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. Again, we see the Lord's ability to carry his cross and yet relieve his disciples of theirs. The beauty about what we're seeing in terms of how Christ died is while he's going through what he's going through, he's thinking about you not going through what he's going through. Remember what we said last week when we said the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrates this bugged out quality in that on the time when he's about to face the most intense persecution of his life, he's praying about somebody else. Here you see Jesus Christ about to get arrested. He said this to his disciples. I'm talking to you about persecution and I didn't say it before because I was with you. See, when I was with you, I was going to deflect all of it from catching you. But now that I'm about to leave, I got to prepare you to carry your cross or you to get persecuted like I was. 
Once again, we see him demonstrating. See, that's why I didn't talk to you all about persecution while I was here because I was do stuff like this. Step in the way and say, let these men go. Jesus Christ demonstrates that he's concerned for somebody else because he steps in the way. And that just makes me pause. As we think about carrying our cross, sometimes the intensity of our own drama makes us think we deserve to not think about others. So we get to the point where it's almost, you almost know, you know I'm going through something. But yeah, but you, were, but you, were, you said you were committed to this. But I'm going through. And some stuff is so intense, you do have to fall back. Right? But you just think about this quality of the Lord Jesus who is about knowing all the things that would happen to him. Now, we know we're going to get to the cross in its agony. We're going to get to the cross in its detail. But with all that on his mind, he still has the presence of mind to say, let them go. Jesus Christ concerned. That's why he says, I come to give my life a ransom. A ransom says, let them go. Take me instead. Peter, later on, who saw this, said, cast your cares on him, for he cares. Jesus demonstrating his care and that he's like, mm -mm, take me. Let these men go. You looking for me. Lastly, Jesus Christ was convinced of the necessity of the cross. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus, by the way. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? If Jesus would have just lived the perfect life, we would have been amazed at his example. But God the Father would have looked at him as a failure. If Jesus would have just healed a lot of people, we would have been happy because after all, that, we, he did good. But without the cross, God the Father would have looked at him as a failure. We see here Jesus convinced that the cross was not an option. It wasn't just a nice way to finish off a banging life. It was a must. Which is why when somebody tries to stop it through force, he says, put away your attempt to stop the cross Shall I not? It is a must that I, that I enter the will of God, which is to embrace my cross, not fight my way out of it. John 12, 27. Jesus says, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose, I came to this hour. Jesus, this is my purpose. You know what? We have, we have a purpose. And we have all these little mini purposes up to our purpose. And sometimes we like to, the many purposes are more comfortable than the ultimate purpose. So what we'll do is we'll just trade many per faithfulness to our many purposes, M-I-N-I, for that one ultimate uncomfortable purpose. Jesus says, I'm, I, it was my purpose to come and heal, Isaiah 61. It was my purpose to come and liberate. But ultimately, my purpose is to come and to die. He was convinced of the necessity of the cross. Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom. Remember, he came to be killed on someone's behalf. The cross was a must. The disciples didn't get this. Peter is good for this. Flip over to Mark chapter 1. We're we closing right now. I mean, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Don't let me lose you. And I know it's hot. Just want to show you this idea of the cross, and then we'll look at our own lives. Please don't, like, everybody is struggling with this idea of cross. And in this day of Christian prosperity, cross doesn't even match most people's understanding of Christianity. Crown does. Which is why everybody, excuse me, is talking kingdom. When you start hearing people, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, usually their idea is not a suffering king. It's a conquering king. 
Jesus came down and said the kingdom is here, yet didn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus came down and said the kingdom's here, yet he didn't set up shop in Jerusalem. Jesus came down and said the kingdom is at hand, yet he didn't, ha- he didn't come to be served. So all I'm saying is today don't, don't gloss over something that we always see, that we always say, ah, I know that. We are in a season of cross, and some of us say our cross feels a lot like cross. I was on TV, and their cross looks a lot like kingdom. The only problem is, whose, like, whose cross do you, wanna, do you want your cross to look like? And then what do you want to look like as you face your cross? Are you convinced that the cross is a necessity in everybody's life, and it has to precede glory? What you see on TV is glory. Right lights, right lighting. Right cosmetics, they have experts. Series, never a series on the stuff that would look like cross. You don't even hear a series on cross. When's the last time you got your message on the cross from TV? Unless it's somebody who's got a program, but they're not big hoopla. Look in Mark, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming home with this. 8.31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. Once again, y'all, nothing's wrong with you. You didn't make a bad move. You didn't choose wrong. You didn't, I, I thought I heard God say, you know what God said. You're right. The Son of Man must suffer many things. And he, look, so he began to teach them about this necessity. But I'm going to show you what the tendency is. Look, he taught them he must be rejected. How is this? Messiah was, pro- was supposed to come and be received as the king. Everybody wanted Messiah to come. Remember the prophetess Anna saw him and said, yeah, I can die now. I saw him. Simeon, Simeon said the same thing. Oh, I can go. Messiah's here. We receive him. Jesus says, I know some people receive me, but let me tell you why I came. I came, and part of the plan for me was that I would be suffering and rejected by not everybody, the people you would think would receive me, the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Once again, cross always is followed up by resurrection. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Once again, this always happens. This idea of the cross will always get somebody to pull you to the side and say, you're not living up to your true calling. Rebuke often comes from people who mean well and say, all this talk about dying and denying, you need to step out into your blessing. But turning and seeing his disciples, look at this, he rebuked Peter. Here's the problem. This is why the person who feels for sheep or immature believers get mad at TV. We don't just say, oh, they're off. We get upset. You know why? Because of their impact on others. Like they make people think like them. Jesus looks at his disciples, sees them watching Peter pull him aside and rebuke Jesus and this concept of I must suffer and I must be rejected. How's Peter rebuking him? It's the same concept of stop talking like that. And Jesus rebukes Peter as he looks at his disciples. He says, and here's the key. Get thee behind me or get behind me, Satan. Sometimes you need the King James Version to get it right. Get thee behind me. But get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This The cross is necessary is not endorsed by man. 
That's why he said, you don't have in thing, mind the things of God, but the things of man. This is why they don't preach it, and this is why we get upset on TV. Not because they don't sound good, because it's the mindset of man, not the mindset of God. Otherwise, we'd hear it more. And people would embrace it more. And when they see us walking in a season of crossness, which often means weakness, which often means I don't drive that kind of car you have, which often means my house is not like yours. But when you see it, rather than you thinking something's wrong with me and I'm not claiming it and I'm not stepping out on my and I'm living beneath. You may say, man, you must be on the verge of glorification because right now it looks like your life is dominated by a season of cross. The Lord Jesus says, see, you rebuke me because you don't understand the Son of Man must be rejected and be killed. Look at this. Look at this. After he rebukes him, right, he calls the crowd to him. Now, see, that's what I'm saying. Jesus cares about people who are still making up their mind about theology. See, the scribes and the chief priests, they're hardened in their perspective. Jesus cares about the disciples, so he rebukes Peter. Then he cares about the crowd that's listening in and calls them and said, wait a minute, let's clear the air right now. Look what he says, verse 34. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone would come after me, that's what Christian means, follower, or come after Christ, let him deny himself and take up his cross and imitate me. This is why we're spending time on how Jesus dealt with his cross before we get to the fact that he dealt with his cross. Because we're supposed to take up ours and then do it the way he did it, in a committed fashion. Not thinking that we're... we're look at verse 9. I mean, chapter 9. I'm sorry. Keep going. We're still in Mark real quick. Nope, let me finish this out. Verse 35 of 8. Verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. That's the person who will, will take an escape route and then show up at the finish line like, but you did promise me I'd be rewarded. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Let me show you Peter again. Now, he's already got rebuked for this one. Now, go over to chapter 9. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God and it has come with power. This is the part we like. Kingdom of God with power. This is what we make a beeline to. It's just human nature. And I'm just telling you all right now, it is coming. It is yours. Get ready for it. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Step out. It's yours. It's coming. They're right about that. The part they don't help us to deal with is the doorway to it. That's all I'm saying today, that my points are based on the blueprint who dealt with the cross. The original cross carrier, the original cross bearer, the original preacher of the cross, the original person who promised that the cross is inescapable. But it is escapable. Like, you could take out the sword, cut off. You could change your hiding place. You could go somewhere else. You could escape it. It's possible to duck your cross. It's not possible to duck your cross and still be in the will of God. It's not possible to escape and sidestep the cross and still hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's not possible to duck the cross and still God see you raise you up and put you on a pedestal and give you a name that's above other names. So verse 9, let's look at Peter again, miss it, because he wants this kingdom, he wants it with power. After six days, Jesus took with them Peter, James... John let them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them, meaning he showed them the, the Shekinah glory that their eyes could stand. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to him Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said, Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. 
and suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. I used to, real quick, I don't have time to really get into this, but just know this, and, and one day we'll get to this. I used to think that Peter got it wrong because he wanted to put people on Jesus' level. So God said, no, Jesus is superior to Elijah and Moses. Some of you are like, yeah, that is it, right? <laughs> That's really not what's going on here. When Peter said, we should make three tents for you all, what Peter basically was saying was, this is it. This reminds me of what's been promised. Jesus, the return of Moses, the return of Elijah, signifying the kingdom is here. Let's park right here, establish tents for you all, and let's begin to prepare ourselves for the embrace of the kingdom. Once again, that cross has not happened, so... The voice from heaven that has already heard the rebuke that he just got six days earlier comes down, overshadows the whole scene, says, this is my son. Listen to him. Like, I used to think it was just listen to him. Like, this is my son. He's better than the rest. Listen to him. What he's saying is, listen to what Jesus is saying must precede what you're waiting for. Flip back to John. We're closing. Because here's Peter, here's Peter again. Cutting off somebody's ear now. He then went from rebuking the Lord himself to messing up a banging moment on a high mountain with Jesus shining. Everything was chill. And it's like the, the needle scratch on the record. Oh. It's good for us to be here. Let's make a tent. Light leaves. Cloud comes. Just Jesus now. And look, look, uh, I missed this one part. It says, and they went down the mountain. You know, it's the idea if you were preaching, if you really wanted to make it preach, you talk about, and they went up a mountain. How many of y'all are up on a mountain? You want to be over the mountain? Soon as Peter messes up the moment, it says, and they went down the mountain. <laughs> Almost like, it's over. Come on. I can see James and John like... He always saying something, messing it up, coming down the mountain, all mad because he messed up a glorious moment because of his misunderstanding. Same thing. We like these mountaintop experiences, and soon we got to go down, and we're like sucking our teeth on the way back down. But it's with this understanding because we've still got to go to that cross. And so now, Christ is convinced of the necessity of the cross. He's doing it again. And people will always do it. Let me conclude. The cross is central to the heart of the gospel. I want you all to remember my point. This is the gospel, and we're going to close on this. A committed Savior to, like, well, put it, let me start like this. Jesus, out of a commitment to the Father, a care for the sheep courageously embraces the cross because there's no other way. He has a commitment. He shows his commitment by not ducking the cross but running to it. He shows his courage in that even though he knew all that was going to happen to him, you saw the passion, and that doesn't do it justice, he still kept going. Out of a care for others, let them go, take me, which is just symbolic of what he's done for all who would come to him. Don't death, sin and death, don't get them, get me. And anybody who trusts in me won't have to experience the sin and death, uh, the effects of sin and death. Because there's no other way. It was a necessity. And he was in control of the whole thing. And that's the gospel. It's of God, not of ourselves. He didn't shrink back. He was courageous, in control of it all, died for a sheep. The good shepherd says this in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. There was no other way. Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The cross was a must. I'm going to close with Hebrews um, chapter 10 because I want you to know that Jesus Christ is our model. I don't know what season you're in. 
But if you would describe it more like cross than crown, if you would describe it more like suffering than conquering, you have a model in Jesus. Right now, we're asking men and women everywhere to believe this message. Hebrews chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow, excuse me, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been clean, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold... I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written in me of me in the scroll of the book. The issue on the floor is what's going to take away sins? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He says here, religious commitment is not what you really want. It's the removal of sin. So the he says. So since you're not into religious faithfulness only, you prepared a body for me. I will do your will. This is the gospel. Will you just be good, just be nice, just do a little better, give a little more, help people a little more fervently? Or will there be bloodshed on your behalf? The gospel says that Jesus Christ shed his blood so that you can be saved. In our own lives, Jesus says, follow this example. I've designated that each of my people carry a cross. That is moments and seasons that feel more painful than pleasurable. That calls for more sacrifice and less getting, more sowing and less reaping. Death and not life, it feels like. Sometimes it's actual death and not physical life. God says, but the Lord Jesus is our example that we can still be committed to that kind of lifestyle. We can still be courageous in the face of that kind of pain. He's in control of that season. And you know that we're at that place where we need to remain committed and we need to continue to step out and believing that God will bring us through just like we're going to see as we continue that he brought the Lord Jesus through. If you're not a believer in here, throw yourself in the mercy of the one who shed his blood. Blood of bulls and goats couldn't do it and your blood can't do it. You can't say, well, I'm going to take my cross and I'm going to die for my own sins. It's not adequate, which is why he had to go. But then just in terms of how we live our lives. I pray that God will empower us to endure this season that I know many of us are in, and that is this season of waiting for that blessing or waiting for that moment where things lighten up. I pray that you won't think you're tripping. I pray you won't think that it's all because I should have never. It's all happened when I started. If I would have only, I pray that won't be the case. This could be smack dab in the will of God, a season that is actually the doorway to what we're going to see in a few more chapters, resurrection, exaltation, and ascension. Back to the God who made you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for John 18.